This is not a contest about who can do better in front of a press conference or try to embarrass each other. It's about making myself very clear what the conditions are to get a better relationship are with Russia. On June 16th, the day we published this episode you're listening to right now, U.S. President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin are meeting in a villa in Geneva. They're mapping out a future for the relationship between their two countries. Relations between the U.S. and Russia are the worst they've been in several decades. It's their first face-to-face summit of Biden's presidency, and there's lots to discuss. Russia interfering in U.S. elections, cyber attacks, poisoning and imprisoning of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, nuclear arms control. Despite the tense relations, both leaders say they want some kind of stability between their countries. So what's next for the tumultuous U.S.-Russia relationship? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The summit between Biden and Putin is just the latest in a long line of high-profile meetings between U.S. and Russian leaders. And while it's the first time the two are sitting down together since Biden took office, they have a history of their own. So to walk us through the past, present, and future of the U.S.-Russia relationship, we spoke with journalist Mansour Mirovalev ahead of the summit. U.S. news outlets have been devoting quite a bit of coverage to this since the summit was first announced. I know that you've been following the reaction in Russia. So what are some of the themes you're seeing in the coverage of the summit there? Well, first of all, many Russian news outlets are kind of back to the Cold War era way of covering things. You know, the U.S. is this evil superpower that plots to subjugate Russia to take over its resources. There's even some people saying that the U.S. and Russia are on the brink of war. There are plenty of voices in pro-government news uh, media that cry wolf all the time, that are very hysterical and very alarmist. So in comparison with them, Putin always sounds balanced and sane. (laughs) And that is the purpose of having those barking dogs. They stir up the crowd and then Putin steps in and says, look, it's going to be just fine. I'm in charge. Putin had this to say at a Russian business event earlier this month. We have no disagreements with the United States. They only have one disagreement. They want to hold back our development. They talk about it publicly, and all the rest stem from this position. The most surprising thing is that usually Putin reacts with something very salty and almost obscene. Here's an example. In 2002, a French journalist asked Putin a question about Russia's war in majority Muslim Chechnya. And Putin responded by suggesting this reporter might sympathize with Chechen rebels enough to become one. And Putin said, oh, you like them. So we have some experts who can get you circumcised so that nothing grows back again. Wow. Uh, And this is one of the reasons... uh, Russians like him because he sounds like a tough guy. He, he sounds like, he almost sounds like a wise guy, you know, street wise. 
But Mansoor says that rhetoric has been a little bit different with Biden. Earlier this year, the U.S. news network ABC asked Biden this question. You know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer? Mm-hmm. I do. So what price must he pay? The price he's going to pay, well, you'll see shortly. But this time, surprisingly, even though Biden called him a killer and he said that his government is paranoid, despite all that, Putin said recently, Biden is a reasonable guy. Biden is a balanced guy. I hope the the meeting will be positive, but I'm not expecting too much. This summit is the most recent addition to a long history of meetings between the two nuclear powers. Bilateral talks go back to the 1950s, beginning with U.S. President Dwight Eisenhower and USSR Premier Nikita Khrushchev. The Russians had come out of their Moscow shell to sit round the table with the Americans, with whom, not so long ago, they were not the best of friends. Now, I know in the past, summits between the U.S. and Russia, and formerly the USSR, have had a long history of pretty colorful exchanges between leaders. So what are these summits typically like? When I was 12 years old, there was a lot of coverage in the Soviet media of the summit between uh, Mikhail Gorbachev and uh, Ronald Reagan. There was this media buzz going on for weeks and weeks because for the first time there was a Soviet leader who was genuinely friendly towards a Western leader and who was genuinely trying to reach a peace deal instead of trying to scare uh, the Yanks. Those summits in Geneva and Reykjavik eventually led to a treaty to reduce both countries' nuclear capabilities. Here's Gorbachev after it was signed. On behalf of the Soviet leadership and of our entire people, I declare in international affairs we are acting and will continue to act responsibly and seriously. We know what our interests are, but we seek to accommodate them to the interests of others. And we are ready to meet each other halfway as equals. Each summit between uh, a U.S. and uh, a Soviet and then Russian leader generated a lot of media buzz and uh, it always was this little show that was supposed to prove to Russians that, look, we are that important. Our main guy is right next to the world's uh, most powerful politician. But the sad reality is that Each summit, after the Reykjavik summit probably, was less and less significant in terms of Russia's real clout in the world. And for the past 21 years of those summits, Vladimir Putin has held some position of power in Russia. I remember Putin's first summit with the U.S. president. It was 21 years ago, and he was meeting with Bill Clinton. And at the time, Putin was this uh, media-shy, slightly clumsy guy with thinning hair. He had just become a Russian president, and he was genuinely pro-West, which is so surprising because, you know, now he is the baddest guy on the block who opposes anything Washington does these days. But at the time, he was very much willing to be seen as an equal 
and he was seriously talking about Russia's closer ties to the West and he even once joked that maybe Russia should join NATO. But the West did not want to see Putin as an equal and he also started his, you know, traditionally Russian trajectory from a reformist to an autocrat. And throughout that trajectory, different presidents have tried different tactics in their negotiations with Putin. Under former U.S. President Barack Obama, the approach was for a reset. In 2009, before the two presidents met, U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton gave Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov a gift. It was a giant button labeled Reset in both Russian and English. It was meant to symbolize a reset of U.S.-Russian relations. We want to reset our relationship. But it turned out to be mistranslated. We worked hard to get the right Russian word. Do you think you, we got it? You got it wrong. I got it wrong. <laughs> it should be перезагрузка. Ah. And this says перегрузка, uh, which means overcharge. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't let you do that to us. I, I promise. <laughs> and then there was the Trump administration's much-discussed relationship with Russia. That culminated in an infamous meeting in Helsinki in 2018. After the cameras left the room, it was just the two men and their translators, an unprecedented two-hour off-the-record meeting. And that brings us to today. So what we have now is this very seasoned, very angry, very experienced Russian leader who is about to meet with the fifth U.S. president in his career. Wow. Five different U.S. presidents. And all with Putin. That that says a lot in itself. Biden has only been in office for about five months now, but those five months have been packed with back and forths between the two leaders. And as you mentioned, they also have a past. So what can you tell me about their relationship, what we should know about it? Biden has been to Russia many times. Lots of Russian journalists joke about Biden's age, and they often show footage of him visiting Russia back in the day when he had more hair. And of course, unlike Trump, Biden knows Russia very well. And he knows more than one Russia because he has seen Russia in the Soviet era and he has seen the transformation of Russia under Putin. They met once in the Kremlin and uh, that meeting wasn't uh, very uh, friendly, I think. This meeting is the subject of a story Biden has mentioned to the press quite a few times. Joe Biden, who was Barack Obama's uh, vice president at the time, went to see Putin in the Kremlin exactly 10 years ago. And he later recalled... We were coincidentally just about this far apart looking at each other. And I said I wasn't being a wise guy. I said, Mr. President, I'm looking in your eyes and you have no soul. And he looked back at me and he said, we understand one another. And of course, this is a perfect counterpoint to what George W. Bush said 20 years ago when he met Putin for the first time. And he said, I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. I was able to get a sense of his soul. He's a man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. 
there's been a lot of soul searching uh, <laughs> between Putin and the American presidents. And uh, now we will see something new in Geneva. So what's likely to come out of this summit? Russia and the United States have a lot to discuss. The first months of Biden's presidency have been busy. A very tense relationship, election interference, cyber attacks, human rights, just a few of the issues. Biden has expelled diplomats and hit Moscow with multiple rounds of sanctions. President Biden also expected to address the action of Putin's close ally, Belarus, forcing a commercial plane to land to arrest a journalist on board. But here's what Mansour thinks will be top priority. Of course, the number one thing is Ukraine, because as we all remember, in April, Putin amassed servicemen in Crimea and uh, right next to Ukraine's eastern borders with Russia. And for a couple of weeks, many Ukrainians thought that, okay, the Russian bear is going to attack. And then Biden called Putin. And it was actually during this phone call that Biden and Putin agreed to hold this summit. So Ukraine is number one. And then... I think the number two issue is this very old cornerstone of global nuclear architecture. Uh, it's uh, arms control. Gorbachev and Reagan signed a landmark deal on the reduction of nuclear missiles in 1987. But now this deal is dead. So far, the biggest problem is that the US and NATO are installing uh, a missile shield in Romania and in Poland, which used to be pro-Soviet socialist nations back in the day. The US says that the the missile shield is against uh, a a possible Iranian threat. But Russia says, look, no, 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 no. This is right next to us. We do not want that. And we are moving sophisticated nuclear missiles to Kaliningrad, Russia's westernmost region. So Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has proposed a deal. Let Russia see the bases in Romania and Poland. And the U.S. can check out the missiles in Kaliningrad, a Russian enclave sandwiched between Poland and Lithuania. It seems pretty boring and it seems unimportant, but uh, the whole thing is this game of king of the hill. Russia wants to, once again, to be seen as an equal, and uh, Russia simply wants to say, look, we are allowed to inspect a NATO military bases in Eastern Europe, which makes us also responsible for Europe's security. Mansour isn't the only person expecting some movement on arms control. I'm Alicia Sanders-Zachary. I'm the policy and research coordinator at the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Any summit between Russia and the United States has a lot of potential for advocates against nuclear weapons. Even one nuclear weapon is too much, but the United States and Russia still hold over 90% of the world's nuclear arsenals and continue, as our research shows, to spend billions of dollars on these weapons of mass destruction instead of really addressing the real human security threats that we face today from pandemics to climate change. And while nuclear weapons might not seem as pressing as they did during the Gorbachev-Reagan summit, 
Alicia says there's still lots to be concerned about. So we found that the nine nuclear armed states spent $72.6 billion on their uh, nuclear arsenals in the middle of a global pandemic in 2020. There are still thousands of nuclear weapons that are on high alert, ready to be launched within you know minutes notice. We're seeing increasing development of new types of nuclear weapons. There's the integration of more artificial intelligence and cyber operations into nuclear weapons policies. So for many reasons, the risks of nuclear weapons use are increasing. And we know that the use of even just one nuclear weapon would have devastating humanitarian consequences. Putin expressed interest in discussing arms control during the summit and blamed U.S. politics for getting in the way of negotiations. Russian-American relations have become hostage to political considerations in the U.S. I hope that this will end one day. I mean, the fundamental interests in the sphere of security, strategic stability, and reduction of dangerous weapons for the whole world are always more important than the current domestic political situation in the U.S. itself. The Trump administration was, you know, rightly criticized for withdrawing and destroying a number of uh, previous arms control agreements. And President Biden has indicated his desire to promote arms control and strategic stability, specifically at the summit, but also during his presidency. But unfortunately, we haven't really seen much uh, progress towards nuclear reductions. We really do see this summit as an opportunity for Presidents Putin and Biden to make a real commitment to reduce their nuclear arsenals and work to join the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So we've talked about a lot of agreements that have recently been pushed aside, but this is a new agreement that has the support of most of the world's nations and is the first global comprehensive ban on nuclear weapons. There's no reason not to be optimistic that there can be significant progress. And one reason for hope, Alicia says, is because we've seen it before during that 1987 meeting between Gorbachev and Reagan. Following that summit, there was a reduction of of tens of thousands of nuclear weapons between Russia and and the United States. So I I think there's always hope for progress and change, and it just takes courage and, and leadership and activism. Meanwhile, Mansour is a little less optimistic. Both Biden and Putin have indicated that they would like a steady, predictable relationship. Do you actually think that's likely? And and what would it take to achieve that kind of relationship? I'm not sure that's possible right now because there are too many factors such as Ukraine or the crackdown on dissidents in Russia. There are too many factors that stand in the way. For Putin, it will be a bit of a domestic triumph just because of the fact that he went to Geneva and he shook hands with Biden. And it, it wasn't just he wasn't just one of 10 other presidents in the room. It was a face-to-face meeting. And for his approval ratings, it would be better, actually, if he has a bit of a confrontation with Biden because he will show 
once again that he is the baddest uh, guy on the block. But even if they achieve something positive, that will also be covered as a triumph for Putin, because once again, he will show that, look, we are surrounded by enemies, but we can make a deal with them, because there is a Russian saying, uh, a bad peace is better than a good war. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai, Odina Kisbe, Priyanka Tove, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back on Friday.